1: All right, Welcome in. This is the Thursday Deep Dive episode. We have Ian Gray on as usual. Ian's wearing the button-up shirt. He is at his internship. We don't need to disclose uh, what company he's at, but he's uh, making the big leap into the, the suit world, I guess. He's a
2: professional <laughs> man.
1: He's yeah. a, suit man.
0: Yeah. a suit business. Business. I'm a business casual man.
1: There All we right. go. There we go. Yeah, you're not joining the full uh, the suit ranks, I guess, is the Wall Street bet. How the Wall is, Street bets, people would describe it.
2: Is it basketball shorts on the bottom?
0: No, not basketball shorts, but jeans today.
1: There you oh, go. Okay. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, we're going to be talking ubiquity, not networks, but I guess that's what some people call it. That's what I heard them call. But it's Ubiquity Incorporated. Um, I'll let Ryan introduce the company. But first, if you want to talk about our friends at Seven Investing, when this is coming out, it'll be very, very close to when the price uh, hike. I guess I would. Well, that's how I'd call it is going into effect in early July. I'd call it flexing their pricing power. Flexing their pricing power, yes, because the value is still very strong. I guess that's not the best way to put it. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to get in while you can. I don't know, Ryan, you want to talk about that? Yeah, we talk
2: about them all the time. But I like, last night was the first time I got the chance to look at uh, the Rex from the most recent month, and I watched those videos. It's nice
0: to get, like,
2: yeah, that was a very helpful addition because you can kind of get the – facial response from teammates and kind of you're getting a real presentation and sort of their verbal pitch which is nice
1: Mm -hmm. yep and then we should probably mention the code so code ccm use it at their checkout or whenever you're on the website and you get ten dollars off your first month give you a little discount Mm -hmm. if you're going to try out the service all right ryan you want to introduce ubiquity
2: Yeah. So there are, if you're reading through the 10 K, there are a ton of technical terms in here. So I'll try to make it as simple as I can. Just know that I don't understand all the terms either. Uh, Also, they don't do conference calls. So you really got to do a lot of digging into the 10 K stuff like YouTube videos to kind of get the gist of their offering but they're basically selling equipment for internet distribution so it's like wi-fi hardware and they sell to enterprises primarily well they don't actually sell directly to the enterprises but they sell through a, a distribution yeah. network essentially so it's service providers resellers distributors stuff like that and then they also sell related software to it so think about if you've got uh and they've they've sold devices in over 200 countries uh, country. So if you've got a bunch of different uh, modems or routers in different places, you can manage that with the software or the IT department can as kind of the command center to see like what's getting the most uh, internet access, what has the best point, uh, where are the best access points, stuff like that. Uh, you can kind yeah. of map it out with
1: security that. weakness, who's strong, who's, you know. Yeah.
2: These yeah. Strong
1: and, uh, Wi-Fi signal, stuff like that.
2: And there's several, and it, they also have other devices too. They have cameras, phone systems, and they have spot software for those uh, offerings as well. And every software offering that they have, except for one is, I think they're all like unify, protect, unify uh, enterprise. So it's always unify. So if you see that, just know, it's probably attributed to Ubiquity. Um as far as other stuff, the actual business model, they aren't selling direct to consumer, I don't believe.
1: The 85% is reseller, 15% is direct um sales.
2: Okay. From the last number I saw. And most uh, almost their most their largest operating expense is research and development. They don't spend a lot on sales and marketing since their sales department is essentially the community of resellers for them.
1: Yeah. So they don't I think they actually mentioned that directly, that they don't have any direct sales team, but yeah.
2: helps them make a lean operating um there's sg and expense, but a lot of that's probably sort of back office stuff.
1: Yeah, it's very, very low as a percentage of revenue if you check it out. Surprisingly low for a company like this.
2: And then uh, history about the business. This is actually pretty fascinating. So the company starts and stops with its founder. And, and the founder is Robert Perra. He owns, and Ian will probably touch on this, he owns 89.5% of all the common stock outstanding. So it really is a, you could say it's a one-man ship. I think he has, even has small, sort of a small team of directors, uh, uh, board of him. directors, only four. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he really runs this business. Um, and he actually started his first company in high school providing networking and database services. Uh, so he sounds like he's been kind of like a tech savvy, smart guy for a long time. And he was really into basketball in high school. We'll get into why that's relevant. Uh, but after high school, he attended UC San Diego, where he mastered in electrical engineering and studied Japanese while he was there. Sounds like a great life. Uh, and then after college, he went and worked at Apple, but within 10 months he left to start what is now Ubiquity Networks or Ubiquity Incorporated. And he used thirty thousand dollars in personal savings and credit card debt in order to fund the launch. And he basically started the business by building his own low-cost, high performance Wi-Fi module in his apartment. And then yeah, it's like uh, it.
1: you guys probably haven't watched it, but the show Halt and Catch Fire. It's basically the main character from that. Uh, but
2: haven't seen it. No, but uh, they ipo would They've obviously expanded their product suite since then, and they ipo would in 2011, but he personally uh, bought the Memphis Grizzlies in 2012. And so I believe he founded the company. I might be getting this wrong when he was 25. He's 42 now. Yeah, he's so, still pretty young. Yeah. Very young uh, and basically- his entire net worth is the net worth of the company.
1: Yep. And Robert, if you're listening, let's move uh, that team over to Seattle. Get that, uh, yes, so get the team. Uh, what? what are the, the valuation of the team will go up. Uh, <laughs> so if you want your net worth to go up, you know, let's get to, get to talking. Yeah.
0: You're going to become a <laughs> season ticket holder to help him out.
1: Yes. Yes. We'll have to be uh, I mean, that's just a business expense. Everyone Chit
0: chat money, <laughs> corporate sponsorships. You know?
1: Yes, exactly. Maybe exactly. a suite. He, I mean, if he hears that, I mean, there's no way he's not coming. Uh, I mean, the climate change arena too with Bezos. I mean, okay. Uh, that's industry
2: landscape. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Uh, I'll talk industry landscape competition, biggest competitor, is Cisco systems. Uh, if you know ubiquity, when Ryan was describing the business, it's very similar to a lot of products Cisco sells. Uh, I was, excuse me, was looking at the Gartner reviews and Cisco's products overlap 55% with Ubiquiti. And it's really like all of Cisco's products, or sorry, all the products Ubiquiti has, Cisco has a lot of those. Um, And they're, you know, the behemoth in the industry, one of the biggest and best performing stocks of all time. There'll be tough competition, but it shows that, and the reason I'm talking about Cisco is it shows how large of an industry this is. A lot of people don't think about it, but they're really building the backbone of the internet. Um, Other competitors will include Netgear. That's someone that people probably recognize, at least from a consumer standpoint. There's D-Link, which tough name, if you think about it, tough name there. Uh, then there's Dell and then Juniper Networks. Um, and then for reference, Cisco does about $50 billion in revenue a year. Um, I would check out the Gartner reviews for B2B businesses like this. There's a ton of good stuff on that website to kind of check out the competitive landscape. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Ian, do you want to talk management?
0: Yeah, pretty simple today with uh, Robert Paris. So he's the founder and CEO, chairman of the board. uh, As Ryan was talking about, he formerly worked at Apple, has kind of an entrepreneurial past, owns 89.5% of the shares outstanding. So probably I'm like 90% sure, maybe 89.5% sure that this is the highest insider ownership we've ever seen on a company we've done. Um, Especially this size this size, right. It's, 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 and you're going to get into this, but this is a $20 billion company. So a very, you know, a large company and he owns basically all of it. Um, they haven't done any conference calls since 2018. They keep things pretty close to the vest. Don't do a whole lot of press. Um, small board as Ryan was talking about four members, including Robert Parra. So only three others. And, uh, as we were joking about earlier, he's the owner of the Memphis Grizzlies. So he used to be out and about a little more often, I think, and doing some more interviews there wasn't as much uh, recently on him, but, um, but they just kind of keep their head down and go to work and, and do their thing, I guess. Like this is, you know, there's not, a, there's not a whole lot of extra information on his company. He does not take a salary, which is a good thing to see with as much ownership as he has. He's not draining the, the company of cash, but, and well, I see Ryan's,
2: $3,000 in compensation.
0: Yes. $3,000 in compensation from using it was a uh, not cash compensation he was given but for using the company's uh, jet. So Oh, right,
1: right, okay. 3,000 like, that's that's pretty low. Well. For
0: 3,000 that's nothing. That's like going from Phoenix to Tucson or something. So um or Anyways, he's got or
1: Memphis to sure. York, <laughs> Memphis to Seattle.
0: Memphis to Seattle, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's that that flight may even be too long for three thousand dollars though. But who knows? Anyways, he uh, n- no real compensation, no governance issues really to speak of that are obvious. Um, but it's just you're you're trusting in Robert Perra if you're buying this company.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Ryan'll get into it with earnings. They run a light ship. Uh, I mean, the the spending there is just. It's bare bones, uh, which kind of works for them, I guess, it's part of their culture. Um, I'll hit valuation quick. Market cap, $19.7 billion. Ticker is a UI, if you're interested in looking that up. Enterprise value is $20 billion. They have some debt, so this is probably the relevant metric, and it's pretty standard debt. I think it's just traditional bond. Actually, no, it's a term loan. You don't get into the details, but yeah, very standard stuff on there. ev to sales is... Oh, it's not 1.5. I believe it is 11.5. I wrote 1.5. I think it's 11.5. EV to gross profit is 24. EV to operating cash flow is 35. Um, and they had some one-time working capital stuff the last uh, few months that makes their operating cash flow look a little worse than what their operating income, I believe, would be. It was it was slightly higher, so that operating cash flow could grow quite a bit over the next few years, if you average it out, um, even to free cash flow slightly higher. So their minimal CapEx here, even though they are a hardware company, for the most part, they outsource a lot of that manufacturing to different Asian countries. And you no, know, they do a lot of it in the US too, I believe. So, you know, operating cash flow is probably a good metric here to track the company's uh, profitability and obviously the cash generation. And then Lastly, they have minimal stock dilution on deck and then a strong buyback program. So share count, if anything, will be a boost to uh, you know returns if they continue to do well with this business. There's not going to be any worries about share count growing at like four to five percent per year.
2: No, I mean, what's what's his incentive to dilute? You know it's not That's like true. he has some if, tranche options package. You if anything
1: if anything, there's gonna be no more shares to buy back. Actually it' just be
2: him. <laughs> Yeah, this is maybe a topic for another show, but I question how he bought the Grizzlies or like.
1: Oh, uh, it says uh, it was in the 10K. He has 25% of his stock is collateral for loans. So that's, that's why he did it. Yeah. Okay. Or how he did it.
2: Uh, so I'll get into earnings. The trailing 12 month revenue was $1.7 billion. That's up 38% year over year. The majority of that revenue comes from enterprise or the enterprise, but that's kind of a a big category they break it into two but they obviously have a lot of different products they serve a lot of different types of businesses um, and then a lot of different areas as well but gross margins were 48 percent that's been expanding slowly um like Brett said, it's a lean business and I mean it's been linear growth for like the last decade it's yeah. quite impressive how how, how sustainable it's been. But uh, they had five hundred and fifty five million in free cash flow. That's up about fifty three percent year over year. thirty two percent free cash flow margins. So, on, on 48% gross margins to yeah. have 32% free cash flow margins. Pretty impressive.
1: This is what all SaaS investors and we're, some, we're SaaS investors, so don't get don't get insulted here. This is like what everyone dreams of when it's like, oh, 25 times sales, but 90% gross margins. Yet a yeah, lot you know, of this it's hardware. This is the exception, not the rule. And it's hardware. Yeah. It's impressive what these margins are at.
2: Yeah. And they are having some global supply issues with the shortage in chips. They made sure to mention that on the last uh, earnings report. They have had to incur additional costs in order to expedite shipments. And they've also had an an inability to meet some orders um, simply because they lack uh, or they're unable to procure the supplies or components. Um, And then they have, they do have a dividend yield. I think it's 0.5%. I believe if anyone saw something else, feel free to let me know. But
1: yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah.
2: They've increased that incrementally each year, I think for the last few years. So um, they continue to raise that as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Ian, do you want to hit balance sheet to wrap things up?
0: Yep. They've got $144 million in cash, $670 million in debt. And as Brett alluded to earlier, the majority of that is a term loan. Um, About 200 million is on a revolver, but both loans are at just under a 2% interest rate, about 1.9%. Both loans are also variable rate. And so if interest rates were to rise, uh, that would impact the interest rate and impact the um the amount of interest they're having to pay each year obviously and so that service, with yeah. as much which with as much debt as they have that that does have an impact on the business um part of the reason they have this debt it appears is so that they can continue to buy um a lot of shares because we don't have conference calls we can't get that exact um <laughs> we can't ask those types of questions on an, yeah. on a conference call but they make some reference to that in their 10k that Um, By having debt, they can buy back more shares when it when they feel their stock is cheap and they can also issue dividends. Um, And as Ryan was mentioning, the dividend has been increasing for um, multiple, multiple years in a row now. So uh, pretty solid looking balance sheet. They do have debt, but they're they've got the, the business to support it for now.
1: Yeah. It seems like everything with this business is just set out like very meticulously. Like the debt isn't, most businesses you look at, they're like, oh, you had some random thing doing 2024, some random thing due in 2027. This is like, I forget what the exact numbers are, but it's like 30 million this year, 30 million next year, 30 million next year. So.
2: The stability of the growth has been uh, exceptional. And I'd also add that, I mean, they're generating 555 million in cash. That's 670 million of debt. Isn't crazy. And maybe yeah. it's it's super lean, and I think that might just be because it might just be uh, the CEO. Is, I'm blanking on his name. Para is that what it is? Yeah, it might just be his habits. I mean, he started with he started the business with thirty thousand in personal savings. Maybe he's just a frugal person.
1: I, dude, this reminds me. I just read Cable Cowboy. This reminds me of what they were describing TCI and the, they were the biggest cable operator in the world, and uh, John Malone just had him in some creaky little office building in Denver. Uh, for a lot of the time. But Ian, you had something, I think. Do you want to add? No?
0: No, you you guys covered it, so.
1: Okay, well, that's going to do it then for the first half. Let's take an ad break and then we'll get back for the second half of the show. New format, hopefully. It'll be fun, so so don't leave us. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices.
0: You'll get real-time alerts.
1: Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song. From a shady link. And now all your computer can play is
0: red color, red color, where are you?
1: (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security included with Cox Panoramic Wi Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in. Next up, we're gonna hit anecdotal evidence, but I think I should mention here we're gonna do a different format. We're taking out competitive advantages, rolling that into highlights and lowlights because we've understood that's. It's gotten cliche. There's only so many companies with competitive advantages. So we're going to do anecdotal evidence, future growth opportunities, highlights and lowlights, and then we're going to close things out with bull case and bear case. So each of us are going to say, all right, what's going to happen for this stock to do well? What could happen for this stock to do bad? We'll explain it more when we get there. But first one is anecdotal evidence. Ian, any thoughts here? I know it's a B2B, so it's it's kind of tough.
0: <laughs> Not much. My only... Um and we'll get into this more later, I think, with some of the, some other discussions, but we actually at my house are having to replace our Wi-Fi system right now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just always a pain, you know, to have to like replay, you just want your internet to work. And so someone who can actually provide something that makes your internet work, I think is a valuable, uh, (laughs) can be a valuable business, whether it's B2B or B2C, um, because everybody just at, at this day and age, everyone expects internet just to work. Right. Just be yeah,
2: yeah. And big if big. it works, you're not switching. That's yeah. the other part. Um, and that's
1: kind of what uh, Netgear is a smaller competitor. But a lot of people, at least maybe it's me, don't have a good perception of Netgear kind of tacky products. Ubiquity might be the opposite. They're like more sleek, uh, work a lot better, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I, I worked at basically one of these resellers. I don't think we used Ubiquity. I don't think we sold Ubiquity products. But there is something. To be said here, because they go through a distribution network like that where they have these resellers, um, there are times when certain resellers can favor certain suppliers just due to incentives. So, so that like Cisco or something? Yeah, like in our case, we Aruba Networks, we had a really good partnership with them. I, I think there might be better uh, – I wasn't really – queued in since I was the intern uh, on the details behind it, but they kind of push those products when they're talking to an end customer or an end business. Yeah, um, So that relationship with the resellers is important. And they tout that on the 10K that they have a big distribution network. So uh, just worth paying attention to. And I'd also, as someone who had to make cold calls People don't want to switch their Wi-Fi. If it works, uh, they're going to stick with it.
1: It's going to be, yeah, there's going to be the lock in there. Um, I'll hit mine. I mean, I got none personally. There's great reviews online. The Gartner stuff is a kind of a resource I found that's been really, uh, I think, helpful for this, for these type of B2B businesses. Uh, Sleek looking products though. I think if I was going to buy something for a small business of say, we had a little office space. We'd probably look at them. They seem a lot cheaper than the other options out there. So I guess that's kind of a good point, but it's tough. It's tough to know what, until you get into like the IT department, you know, who's best
2: and yeah. whatnot. I think also, I mean, they have an expense, expansive product suite where with the camera network and the camera software and then the phone systems, that kind of thing. So if you've had success with Wi-Fi products or their modems, routers, that kind of thing, um, it probably incentivizes you to use the rest of their items as well if you're looking for them.
1: Definitely, definitely. All right, we got future growth opportunities. Ian, what do you have for Ubiquity?
0: Ryan's last point leads perfectly into it because I think a great future growth opportunity for this company is to continue to push into more and more connected devices. They sell security cameras, uh, door locking systems, things like that for enterprise customers. So for businesses to monitor their warehouses and workstations and keep track of who's coming in and out as well as all the wi-fi i think there's going to be a secular trend towards more internet of things and i know we've been hearing that for like 10 years plus but i think the internet of things is going to be real at some point and it's going to require like ubiquity can benefit on two two fronts one from actually selling some of those internet of things products some of these connected devices that they're selling today but also as there's more and more of those products into the market people are going to need faster and faster Wi-Fi. And presumably some of this the equipment that's out there today is going to become outdated. And I know um, you're going to get into this a little bit, Brett, but there should be some opportunity to upsell people on new Wi-Fi devices as well.
1: And I just thought of this too. This plays into that, the infrastructure bill. That's a tough way to uh, form an investment piece because you don't want to flip a coin on whether the uh, Congress and uh, you know the president make a decision. On that, this year or something like that, but that would probably benefit them as well. There's probably a lot of spending to be allocated to Wi Fi infrastructure, stuff like that, broadband infrastructure in that bill. Um, so, Ryan, what do you have here?
2: Mine's Amplify. So, I, this is their connected home Wi Fi system. So, they do sell some like uh, just consumer facing Wi Fi uh, systems, not only on the hardware front, but also on the software. Uh, so, I mean, if remote work is a lasting trend, I think they have to find a way to go direct to the consumer because let's say businesses go completely remote, they're probably not going to be paying up for reconfiguration or installation of an ex- yeah. uh, really comprehensive.
0: But some internet. of that spending so, might
2: go out to people's homes
1: because they might need better security, you know, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, potentially that as well. So just focusing on the home Wi-Fi kind of thing. Um, and I think they're probably going to do that. But the thing that shocks me is that enterprise revenue did so well this year. I think it was up 36%. It was a bit puzzling. Yeah. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me Uh, and they don't really break it out and they don't have a conference call. So I didn't have the answers to why that happened. But
1: if anyone knows, yeah, if anyone knows, let us know. It's a, it's a bit of a black box over there. It's a black box that has done well, but you don't have much access into what they're thinking of currently. Um, I'll hit my future growth opportunity. It is Wi-Fi 6. This is the next level of Wi-Fi. I have no idea what the difference is between 6 and 5. I assume it's some sort of frequency. Uh, But every upgrade cycle within the, you know, any of Ubiquiti's market segments gives them this opportunity to win customers from Cisco. So it's going to be a slow process over time. And as Ryan mentioned, the switching, the incentives to switch from your current network are huge. And I guess that's the Cisco investment thesis from like the 90s uh, and stuff like that. And that's why it's been one of the best performing stocks of all time. But if Ubiquity is going to win, they're going to have to steal market share here. It's not like this is a blue ocean uh, new market opportunity that they're building themselves. They really have to be better than the current players in there. And it's a large opportunity, but you know it's going to be slow over time. Um, all right. Highlights and lowlights in what do you like and not like about ubiquity?
0: Well, I just thought of one more highlight that I hadn't thought about before, but it's a little bit of a pushback against your last point that there may be some blue ocean strategy available here with international markets. And we keep hearing about um, just how much the rest of the world and Latin America and Africa and some of these countries are gonna have this rapid internet growth in their populations. and like we've said this whole thing there's not a whole lot of information on ubiquity so i'm not sure what their strategy is relative to international or how much they sell internationally um i may be able to get a number on that by the yeah, end of the show they, but they
1: broke it out in the 10k i forget the this i forget the uh percentages of geographic distribution but it yeah. was not mainly it was not just north america ryan you had a number was, they're in 200 countries they've right?
2: sold devices in 200 countries yeah okay.
0: yeah i was trying to remember because i remembered seeing that number somewhere but i couldn't couldn't remember what it was, so I'll get that by the end of the show. But um, so that's one one potential highlight is just the, the growth in the internet market across the world. But uh, a couple more highlights, it's almost a 20 bagger since its IPO. Um, a lot of that's been in the last two years, but it was still like a four or five bagger, maybe a six bagger before the last two years. So pretty impressive returns. And just gives you a little bit more faith in the management team, since we don't have a lot of say in the business. Um, and then it also recently had its best year-over-year revenue growth rate since 2014, and that was the number reported in late 2020. So they they've pin like the business has gotten rejuvenated a little bit. And I don't like we were talking. We're not sure exactly why that is. Um, and maybe we're <laughs> maybe someone would tell us, and, and it would make sense to us. But we just we don't have a lot of info there. And that leads into my low light is it's just hard to find a lot of info, which can both be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, but then we're in and convert uh, in addition to that, we're entirely dependent on the CEO, which also has not been a bad thing recently. but um, there's just it's things to keep in mind we're we're always at the the um, mercy of management teams when we're investing in public equities, but in this case, it's even more so, right? there's no yeah. there's really no investor recourse for any for any outcomes. And and that's been okay for the last 10 years, but um, something to keep in mind if you're looking to invest in this one.
1: Yeah. Or if para decides, you know, I'm going to retire, you know, we've done well for the last 20 years, you know, that that's a risk. There's a definite key man risk uh, with investing in Ubiquiti. Ryan, do you want to do your highlights on the X?
2: Yeah, that kind of leads into my what would have been a potential low light, which is I'm not typically a fan of CEOs who own like sports teams or have some huge outside affiliation. That's like diverting a lot of their attention, but he's been in that business for almost 10 years now. And it hasn't seemed to have any bearings on the business uh, or on uh, ubiquity at all. At least they didn't name a stadium. That's the big red flag. Yeah, I guess that, that that's usually worse, but um other lowlights is it's a really competitive market, especially in the enterprise configuration stuff. And you are kind of susceptible to reseller relationships um, or reseller favoritism to other stuff. Uh, I would, I mean, highlights, it's, they've had exceptional execution and they run a really tight ship and Robert Perrin uh, seems to be doing all the right things. I don't like the lack of information. Uh, that's something that frustrates me, and, and maybe it's yeah. it's kind of Google esque, you could say. But I, I just I prefer to see a lot of information.
1: Yeah, it's it's a I don't know. There's pros and cons because for one, if there's so much information out there, you kind of think that the stock is just going to be way more efficient. But then if there's companies like, I mean, you probably argue back in the 80s, and this is, it might be the exception to the rule that Berkshire Hathaway probably wasn't giving much information but had an extremely complicated ownership structure. There's family members on the board and you're like, what's going on here, guys? Like, give us some info. You're writing one little letter, you know, one letter a year starting in the whenever in the 80s. But I mean, there are some points here you're kind of left out uh, of any of their strategic plans.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's not even letters. There's,
1: it's just <laughs> there' just earnings released in 10K. Yeah, and there's no like, all right, we're moving to this market next year. You know, this is where we're making a lot of headwinds or t- uh, headway. You know, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, stuff. What about you? Uh, highlights. I mean, same as you guys. I think Robert Perra could be like an, uh, described as an outsider. Um, if you know that book, you know the modern outsiders could probably be like Bezos, potentially Daniel Eck. Robert Per I think probably lines up there too uh, I love their their buyback uh, history their track record with buybacks it shows that they're not just and this is a problem with a ton of companies just buying it no matter what they're doing it very very um, methodically thought method- yeah yeah they're they're actually they actually have a strategy with it and it seems like they have an investment mindset with it and a lot of companies honestly, buy high, sell low on themselves and don't buy back stock. Uh, so I love that too. Uh, they're. I also like how they have a plan of having a culture with just a ton of operational efficiencies and then attacking the market with low cost solutions that will work just as well as Cisco's. But with Cisco, you could argue there's a lot of bloat. They probably have thousands and thousands of employees, way more than Ubiquiti and their pricing is a lot higher. So that is something that it's tough for Cisco to kind of like come down to where ubiquity at. And that kind of leads into what I would have, was going to have for competitive advantages. You would argue that Cisco would probably have a competitive advantage. Like Ryan mentioned earlier, there's a lot of lock-in with this stuff and there's economies of scale and there's high switching costs, but ubiquity seems like a prime candidate for the you know innovators dilemma where if they can execute, if they're, if they have a better value proposition Then Cisco, it's gonna be tough for Cisco to disrupt themselves and then get to Ubiquiti's level. But that's tough, it's a tough market and
2: it's not like Cisco's doing bad. Okay, best case, worst case, this is our first time doing this, Ian, you wanna start?
0: Yep, so my best case, and you're gonna get into what leads to this, Ryan, but my best case is that they continue the significant buybacks um, like they've done over the past four years, they've bought back about 25% of their stock, and if they continue to pay similar to that, um, we should see free cash flow continue to increase. And um, they, there's a lot of potential for just a lot of a lot of big gains in the stock just by reducing the share count. And also, as we mentioned earlier, uh, best case scenario looks like increasing the dividend and perhaps even to a more substantial level than you know a half percent yield as it is today. The worst case, I think, is. And I think this is this is a, in some ways actually a bull case for the stock, and, and it's it's a little too probably optimistic to call this the worst case, but I think that this is the type of business that has a floor that it would be bought out by a PE firm or strategic buyer because of how much concentrated ownership there is and just the um, free cash flow that it generates, and even if this business were to decline or stop growing its revenue. That free cash flow with the huge margin it has should remain, and there should be someone who wants to buy this company. And like I said, I think that provides a little bit of floor on this company.
2: All right, all right, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Bull case, bear case? I mean, best case is they keep doing exactly what they're doing right now. Um, they kind of skate where the puck is going. They have best-in-class products, margins continue to expand incrementally sl- or slowly, uh, and then the top line continues to tick up. And the the other thing that and this is part of the, the bear case for me is that they have, well, I mean, there are some short-term problems that they're going to have rising commodity prices, uh, any potential tariffs. They've talked about that as a risk.
1: Yeah. I, um, I would think those are going away, but that was something over the last few years there, that the old tariff bill. Yeah.
2: yeah. the The problem would be, I don't know if I'll get this at a crazy multiple because it seems like the kind of business where, you know how Buffett liked to keep Berkshire close to his estimate of intrinsic value. And if it was, if it dropped below, he'd go in and buy it. That's basically what they've installed here where if it drops to something they consider below intrinsic value, they're going to buy it. So uh, there might not be as many times where it's a screaming buy. Yeah. Uh, looking at
1: historical EV to free cash flow, we're looking at eleven thirty one twenty. 15, 37. I mean, it's a little lumpy. Uh, 20, 46, 27. Yeah. I guess it's, 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 I, uh, their free cash flow is a little bit lumpy, but because they have a lot of working capital stuff. But yeah, I mean, like you're saying, this hasn't been training at like 10 times earnings or anything like that.
2: I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure there's a huge, uh, scary worst case scenario here. They already have the lock in with a lot of customers uh, that enjoy the products. I can't imagine that there's a lot they could do to ruin that.
1: Yeah, it's. T- I mean, that is the bull case is to keep doing what they're doing, but you have to, I think assume a high rate of revenue growth because you, I think if you're being honest with yourself, this is something that probably deserves to trade at, you know, around a round market multiple. Well, I don't know what that, what people think that would be, above. you know, but you got kind of, yeah, maybe if they're best in class, a little bit of above. So, with the current uh, free cash flow multiple, you know it's slightly high, but you gotta, I think, assume that they're going to grow revenue at a high rate. Yeah, maybe they'll be able to juice it with buybacks, but I think one of the lowlights here, or I guess it's different than lowlight, or um, worst-case scenarios, is that the valuation just continues to stay high, uh, which may not make sense, uh, but you don't have the opportunity to buy back your stock with a good rate of return. Uh, last year, they were probably able to buy it back at uh, I don't know, you know, a lot lower uh, of an uh, relative to their intrinsic value. I think another part of the bear case could be the okay. So when there, there's a lot of stories out there about you know people in China, in Asia, and in Africa, and I guess Latin America too, not really going the Western route with internet and going straight to mobile. Now, I know they probably have equipment that they're selling to the people that are building out these, uh, you know, 3G, 4G or 5G networks, but that might, you know, say the super optimistic bull case on 5G works out, there might not be the need for at-home Wi-Fi. That could be a lot of years out, but that, that's some sort of terminal risk that they, they'd have as well.
2: Yeah, I'd I don't know. It, though.
1: This one is different because it's not as volatile. It seems so consistent that it seems like a high floor, but what you're worrying about investing here is okay, what kind of rate of return can I get here? Is it gonna be better than the market at this multiple over the next decade or something like that? Ian, you have anything else?
0: Yeah, I was just gonna add, as you were talking about international, I promised some numbers. So North America, this is geographic revenue numbers. Um, North America accounted for 45% of revenue. Europe, the Middle East and Africa accounted for 40% of revenue. And I have to imagine that the vast majority of that was Europe. Asia Pacific accounted for 9% of revenue and South America only, uh, accounted for 6% of revenue. So potentially some, um, opportunities caveated with what Brett was just saying. Um, and those emerging markets.
1: Yeah. And it's, you can't just bank. I don't think you can just bank on them just continuing to take market share from Cisco. You know, you're not going to just underwrite, all right, they're going to get all of Cisco's revenue of whatever it is, $50 billion a year. But that is a large opportunity for them to go after. And they could, it could help them grow revenue at a double-digit rate for, for a, a long, long time.
0: Yeah. Well, and you never know what where the technology is going to go either and whether there's going to be a new company that comes along and starts, you know, someone else in their garage starts a new company and, and starts taking a piece of the pie as well. So not something I think to be super concerned about, but I think that probably, it, because the rest of the business is so steady, that's one of the risks to consider is, um, is, is, their technology ever going to become obsolete. less important and obsoles- yeah, yeah. like obsolete is a strong word, but you know, it's trending towards obsolete, is that ever going to happen? Um, because I think that's one of the things you have to kind of come to terms with investing in this company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With businesses that are high tech like this, that, that definitely is a risk. All right, let's wrap things up more or less interested Ian. you go first.
0: As I was kind of alluding to in that last point, I'm less interested not because I think it's a bad business, but I think I don't know where, where this business is going. I don't understand the tech well enough. I hate even dealing with Wi-Fi on my own. Um, and so I just, I don't understand it well enough. It's a, it's kind of in my too hard pile and the business, not because the business is super difficult to understand, but just the tech and the secular trends. I don't know where it's going.
1: Where the industry is going. Yeah, that makes sense. Ryan, you're nodding. I assume it's yeah, similar.
2: Same for me. I'll make it quick. I'm less interested. It goes in the too hard pile for the same reason Ian just mentioned. Uh, not because the business model is difficult to understand, but you don't know what the future looks like. Uh, is there some crazy event that could happen that could make the tech obsolete? I don't know. Um, And then also, what does competition look like? I'm not super up to date on the industry at large.
1: Yeah, that'll make sense. I would push back slightly and say the tech obsolete thing seems very, very low probability. But I mean, it's it's something to consider.
0: Hmm. I I would generally agree with you. I don't think that's... It's kind of weird with this business because it seems so steady. And so that may be the like the most concerning thing to the bit about the business to me, but it on most businesses, it would be like, it's a very low level of concern relatively. Um, you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. 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 All All Um, I'm more interested. I'll make the argument. It's not, I don't think it's a hard business to understand guys compared to a lot of the other stuff. I know it is a hurdle. I don't understand it that well, but I think it's something that is you know, you put in some work. It's not biotech. I think you can, it's understandable. Um, but right now, the valuation is high. Um, it's not crazy. I love management. I love the, the lean structure that they're running. I just think that sets up a culture to want to achieve high profitability, to run a lean operation, to keep costs low. And they're able to be the low cost provider and have 33% free cash flow margins there's something to say about that. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely more interested in this, but there would be some more things to learn about. You'd have to look at management. You really, I mean, without their, any of their disclosures, you're really making a bet on management. I don't know him well enough right now. And yeah, it really comes down to valuation and stuff like that. You know, there's not many fat pitches in this market, and maybe there's no fat pitches in this market right now. This is definitely not a not a fat pitch uh, yeah. at all. All right, uh, we have stock for next week, and that is Ryan's turn. So, Ryan, what do you got for us?
2: Global E-Online. They are some sort of e-commerce player uh, recommended by... Brian they not recommended, but uh, he mentioned it to me. So, uh, got to take go. a look at that.
1: Nice. Nice. Is it a new IPO? Something like that? Brian's checking it out. I believe so. Uh, yeah.
2: I'm, uh, recent recent to the public markets.
1: All right. Well, that should be fun. SaaS company, I'm thinking. Maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I really not am sure. not. i really not sure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode then. Thank you all for listening. Um, I guess this is coming out. Uh, never mind. The, we're, we should have mentioned at the beginning of the show that this is a uh, pre-recorded by like two or three weeks but remember we are not financial advisors and anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation ryan and i are general partners at arch capital arch capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast again thank you all for listening we'll see you next week